1: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe.
0: Hello, 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 and welcome to Believe. That's B-L-E-A-V in Lions, right here on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm your host at Javanaugh87, Jack Kavanaugh, and the Lions are back this Sunday It was a, I don't know if it was a good weekend or a bad weekend, not having the Lions play. You didn't have to worry about a loss, but you didn't have the joy of hoping for a win. Hopefully we can get one this weekend. And I, of course, am joined by a man who had many wins in a Detroit Lions uniform, the governor. The 63rd overall pick in the 1987 NFL Draft. A Motor City legend and former All-Pro with 32 sacks in his NFL career. Jerry Reckon Ball. Boom! (laughs) How's it going, my friend?
1: uh it's going good man is that every time you do that intro i feel like i'm a boxer coming out and you know i gotta get warm you know
0: (laughs) (laughs) start doing the bruce buffer i don't know if i can hold it as long as he can but uh doing my best to make sure that you get the credit that you deserve
1: it's all good it's all good but i appreciate all the pleasantries for sure
0: Of course, of course, and we appreciate our friends at betonline.ag. Hopefully, the Lions can win this weekend and pay off a little bet I've placed over there.
1: Hey, you know, both of us, you know, I'm actually got a game of SMU that I'm going to place a bet on this weekend. I'm going to go visit the game and make sure that I'm the lucky charm. I'm traveling tomorrow and then... Believe it or not, I'm going to see the Dallas Cowpokes. Woo! They're going to be playing – I think they're playing the Falcons, if I'm not mistaken.
0: They are. Are you placing a bet on that game? I know you've said before it's even to bet bet against Cowboys fans.
1: You know – that's business, you know. <laughs> I, I'm actually. That's actually, you know, it, it's good that you know you can enjoy a football game and say that you're doing business. But, but for me, it's actually going to be a a, a a an event and a business outing. So I won't get too caught up in the game on who's going to win. But on better Line, I'm going to definitely place a bet on SMU. You know, this weekend and and uh, it was another game that I was going to bet on too. I want to bet on the Texans because they do for a win, you know, as well. They're, they're kind of sitting like the lines as well. But anyway, our friends on bet online, they're going to get my money placed across their online service this weekend.
0: They'll get some of my money too. And hopefully I can win some of it back and bet online is back and better than ever with a new web interface for the start of basketball season. They have more props, odds and lines than ever before and bet online remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. Head to the new updated or desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE50. That's B L E A V 50 to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, baseball postseason, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all of the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. And before this game starts, we have a couple items of housekeeping to take care of here. If Fatu Milifonwu, the cornerback taken in the third round, he's off IR and he's back at practice. Will be interesting to see where he fits in with the emergence of Jerry Jacobs. Honestly, a possible safety candidate at this point. He's a big corner (coughs) at six foot three. We also have AJ Parker practicing in full, the slot cornerback in UDFA. Tim Boyle, the backup quarterbacks off IR, and no Jamal Williams. That's a little bit of uh, not great, but the rest of it sounds pretty good. That's the only person we're missing so far throughout the week. Right.
1: Right. Well, I tell you, you know, it's good that they had that bye week because that did give those guys a little bit more time to try to get back into the tempo and the rhythm. And even though they're placed – off of you know injured reserve, the thing is, is that they they've probably already been moving around a little bit with the team. So so it's good it's good timing. You know they're gonna need every soldier for this second half of the season, and those guys was counted in. So you know it's good that they're back.
0: Definitely going to need every soldier, and one of those soldiers that left the building, Darren Fells, he headed down to Tampa, signed with their practice squad. I can't say I blame him. He's chasing a ring with Tom Brady. I, I understand that, but we're going to need everyone in the building to see who has what it takes to be part of the Detroit Lions' future. What would Cherry yeah. do on a bye week, though?
1: On a bye week, I would um, I would spend a lot of time at home. You know, probably I, when I was married, I, was, I would probably do a lot of honeydew-type stuff around the house. Mm. You know? You know, might, you know, have to tighten a couple legs on some chairs or, you know, running some errands to go bring the things you want in or go get the Christmas tree. And, you know, all of those little things that, you know, right now start becoming important to them, you know, and they need that that extra muscle.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Even on the bye week, there ain't no rest for the wicked. Am I right, Jerry? Never.
1: No, oh man, listen. And then when you get kids, that's now you know again up there in Michigan. So as soon as the snow get a little impact on it and stuff, we head into the hills because we're gonna let them go sledding. So my kids, that's what they love to do. So I would go out there, but I wouldn't stay out too long because I didn't want to get get sick and be fighting the cold and having to try to perform. But we bundle ourselves up and we have some fun too.
0: Well, hopefully the Lions had a little bit of fun on the bye week. I know they needed to take it a little bit more serious. They couldn't celebrate too much, but we talked about adding reinforcements. Josh Reynolds, the former or former St. L.A. Ram and Tennessee Titan, he left the Rams in the offseason, signed with Tennessee before they landed Julio Jones and then took a back seat because it's Julio freaking Jones. Right. A star. But Josh Reynolds, drafted by Brad Holmes in L.A., he had 113 receptions, 1,450 yards, and nine touchdowns with the Rams. That's nothing nothing to sneeze at, 1,618 yards in 2022. So he has some rapport with Jared Goff already. They were texting before they put the claim in. What do you think about this? I think it was a must-make move
1: well you know even if it's if well let me not stumble over this one thing is that they needed to make an improvement mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. being able to bring in a guy that has the rapport with the quarterback is nothing but a plus for the lions and it's an advantage because now it's about the gentleman coming in and learning terminology and learning what their scheme is about here in Detroit. Now, the timing of the routes and stuff. The only way that that's going to ever perfect itself is that they got to get on the field and they got to see how those plays develop, so that he can understand how fast it's coming, what what you know, what kind of timing these routes are going to call for. But it's a good thing. You know, all day, every day. That's a good thing when you can, one, get a guy that has already shown that he can produce. That's some production of what he's already done. And, you know, with Holmes already drafting him, that also gives you a little bit more comfort because, you know, every move that he's making is going to face a certain scrutiny, right? Mm -hmm. So... Uh What's going to show him to be a guy that has a good eye for talent is to bring in skill positions that can come in and play right off and show production. So I think that this gives him a chance too, to show that he got the right eye and being comfortable with someone that he's already placed the bet on before.
0: That's what my whole thing with this is if he didn't make the claim, that's probably a big detriment that he's not taking his guy that he drafted, but it's also you can't afford to just pass too many times on talented players. I understand Odell Beckham. There is money associated with that. I understand not claiming, but when you can get a talented receiver that's put up numbers in the NFL for the veteran minimum, it's a must make move. And I would have been very disappointed if Holmes didn't make that any chance we see him on Sunday with today's Thursday, he was in practice. So two days of practice, any chance we see him Sunday?
1: Definitely. You know, I mean, I think again, you know, no one, they didn't bring him in to be on a practice squad. All right. And because of the production, they're going to give him every opportunity to come in and upgrade that unit. And I think that he does that. You know, with St. Brown, him, and Harts, you know, that, that start looking formidable, you know?
0: I'm liking what I'm hearing. And Dan Campbell was talking about the offense. He spent a lot of time with them during the bye week. But he wants to model himself and his team After the Steelers, where they build around the defense, supplement that with an explosive offense, is that just coach speak, or is that something Jerry Ball is excited about hearing?
1: Well, defense win championships. It does. If if they can't score, they can't win. Bottom line, right? But the best defense is offense, because as long as your offense has the ball, their offense isn't in position to score. Mm. So, (laughs) you know, philosophies can cut a lot of different ways when you start talking about how you want to win or achieve success. Again, as I said in the last podcast, in the way that the Steelers have built their team, you know, the Lions had that model when they had it with us. Myself, Chris Spielman, Benny Blaze. the first thing that they did on defense is they built strength in the middle. I was at the nose. Chris is at the linebacker position with Dennis Gibson. And then you had Benny Blaze and William White at the safeties. So in terms of building a strong middle of the defense, we did that. You know, so if they're going toward putting the real fundamental stuff together like that, then that's all good. Because it, it actually, it shows that you have a conscious effort of how to win in the NFL. <laughs> Not just talking Madden football or schemes, but you really understand that you got to control the center of the field.
0: It's not just words for the sake of words. We don't want it to be this WWE nonsense. You have to live what you're preaching. And a guy who's done that, not in the NFL, but in the NBA, former Detroit Piston Ben Wallace was at practice this past week with the Lions, went from UDFA to Hall of Famer, recently joined the Pistons front office, And Dan Campbell says this is the kind of person, this is the kind of story that the Lions are looking for. They're already starting two UDFAs at corner right now. What do we think about bringing in outsiders for these kinds of pep talks? Does that work in your experience?
1: Listen, all of it is inspirational, right? Mm -hmm. And there are lessons that we all can learn from anyone. We can learn from a kid. A kid can teach us things that as an adult, we would figure, oh, we should have already knew that. But here's what I say about that. You know, if there are lessons that give applicable knowledge that they can share, that helps that guy becomes a better person, character, uh, becomes a better player, becomes a better husband, becomes a better professional, becomes a better person, Is always good to, to kind of enrich and to foster a perspective where you can show adversity, perseverance that brings forward success and, and at a level where as you can become a superior in what you do as he did in becoming a Hall of Famer. You know, he's a, a superior guy, just in status now. And because he he wasn't drafted and he had the free agent path, it's, it's the same path that John Randall had. All right? Mm-hmm. Randall was a free agent. You know, so those stories are there. And then there are stories already in the Lions' tradition. And they need to know kind of the history of some of what they already have because there are some great stories there too, you know? And, you know, but I do think that it does serve well when you can have people share that type of insight. Did you
0: have any big-name guests come into your locker room or is there anyone that you played with or anyone you know that would be a good candidate to talk right now?
1: Oh, man, there's there's a lot of of great people that have come into the locker room. You know, you have football fans in every walks of life, from politicians to city officials, uh, even the other legends and stuff. I started giggling because I remember one time uh, we were literally, this is when I was with the Browns, and we were actually in Pittsburgh to play the Steelers. And Jim Brown actually spoke to the team. And I'm looking at Jim Brown like, wow, that's Jim Brown. You know, I'm in awe of him. But when he gets up to give his speech, he tells the team, he says, you know, You guys walk around here all giddy and, you know, and don't look like you're taking this serious and stuff. Hell, Jerry Ball the only one walking around here looking like he want to kick my ass, but I'll (laughs) kick his ass. (laughs) Oh, no, what'd you do? Nothing. I was just looking at him in awe, you know <laughs> what I mean? But he did that so that the guys teased me and he was like, uh, they like, man, JB, what you what you do, Jim, man? Jim want to whoop your ass, JB. Jim." Wanna-. I'm like, man, I have no idea, man. I'm sitting there and awe." So what I did after that happened, it was a night meeting. <laughs> I picked up the phone and I called Mel Farr's brother, Miller Mm -hmm. who played ball too and they all lived in LA and was friends with Jim and I told him what happened because these are like older guys that's been in the pros that when I was a kid they were pro. all right so I'm telling them what Jim did me and he's just telling me man Jim is you know kind of like that he told me about one guy that actually thumped him was a fullback out of Indianapolis and I forget the guy's name so the next day while i'm on the field i see jim on the sideline and i run over there and i go in his ear i said hey jim you remember such and such and i said the guy's name i said well i'm like him you're gonna have to battle me (laughs) oh my
0: that would be a
1: clash of titans yeah, yeah, but but you know, let me tell you, he just laughed and giggled and stuff, but but in terms of inspirational speeches that he did come in to do that, but he was upset with what he seen because he was a Cleveland Brown talking to the Cleveland Browns, and we're about to play the Pittsburgh Steelers, and that's a rivalry, first that's of a, all.
0: That's a big time rivalry. Wonderful. That's a rivalry,
1: you know, that that's a down the road rivalry too. So it ain't even, you know, matter of fact, when we played Pittsburgh and I was in Cleveland, shit, we, we rode, they drove the bus, Ooh. you know? So, so it's that type of rivalry. Like we say, cross town, this is cross the state line rivalry, but close enough where everybody. You got fans on both sides of the line.
0: <laughs> uh, it's an ugly throw down rivalry and it, it speaks yeah, to the kind yeah. of towns that Cleveland is, the kind of town that Pittsburgh is. And Detroit's yeah. not too far off, even though it's not no. so much of a rivalry.
1: Well, well, let me just say this. And, and, and you see, and, and I, I think because, you know, people that never visit Detroit and don't really understand the fan base and, and the people of Michigan and the people that are true Lions fans. Let me tell you, the Lions fans are as good as any fan for the fans to be generational fans that have been there when the team has struggled from the 50s, 60s, 70s and some of them will still talk about being in Briggs Stadium or any of those old stadiums I had you know when I had season tickets my parents had season tickets and used to take it down Well, the Lions wasn't necessarily winning then, but they've been fans the whole time. So their fan base is as good as any, you know, and and you're right. Just like Cleveland and Pittsburgh, Detroit Lions have a fan base that is solid and they deserve a championship. They do.
0: They do. And hopefully that championship starts with a big W against the Pittsburgh Steelers this weekend. And one of the big-time battles I'm looking at, Taylor Decker, the left tackle. He's practicing in full right now, full practice Wednesday, Thursday, moving Panay Sewell back to right tackle. And Dan Campbell talks about how lots of guys are comfortable with both hands down in a stance, talks about tight ends, how they have to do it anyways. How about you? Did you get comfortable with both hands in a stance? Or did you ever get into the four-point?
1: Well, no, I, I hated the four point stand, you know, <laughs> you know, first of all, you know, I was already heavy. So when you're in the four point stand and you're moving as much weight as we're moving, you got to first get yourself up and get balanced, mm. you know. But in the three point stance, you know, you already got a balance and you got a hand that's already off the ground that you can actually serve as contact as movement moves. So for me, I didn't do the go from right hand to left hand down stuff. I just stayed with the right hand stance because that's what was I was comfortable, but I could play on both sides of the ball, the left side or the right side with the same stance.
0: That versatility is key, and that's something that TJ Watt has, arguably the best edge rusher in football. And Sewell, we know he's not backing down from anyone, but is it a tall task in your first game back, even as an established pro to face a TJ watt. And on top of that, when you compare a TJ watt where he's rushing the edge versus an Aaron Donald, mostly on the interior, how does that play into it? What type of pressure is more devastating to an offense?
1: Well, I think one, um, Sewell has already shown that he's a competitor, you know, and because he's going to the right tackle, you know, it might be where they feel he's more comfortable and he, he might feel that way himself. I think with Decker coming back, though, it brings uh, some stability on the line. Um, if they feel that he's going to give the protection that allows, you know, Jared to not feel that shadow pressure because he feels his left side is protected and he can see, that Sewell has the other guy inside, it can can serve well with him being on that side. Now, be it that he's, you know, playing against Watt, who is probably top three pass rusher in the game, um, he's got to come to the game ready to play. The guy got an engine, and he he plays every down, you know? So he's going to have to, you know, stay on the balls of his feet and not get flat-footed. He can't get himself, you know, overbalanced because as he takes him upfield, he likes to already dip under. So he don't want to overset, which means, you know, kind of lose leverage on him. You know, you kind of, if you look at my hand, you know, there's a leverage point that's right here. Then there's a leverage point, let me do it, that's right here. All right? But when you over on this side, you have no leverage point over here on this side. So he has to keep his head at a spot in the V of his neck so that he always has that inside leverage point and don't let him come under. I think that's going to be his challenge because the left tackle position, normally you bail out because you're going to have the speed rush, but now the speed rush on, on his side. And the right tackle normally doesn't bail out like a left tackle on the set.
0: Learning lots about the offensive line play versus the defense. And when you have a interior pressure versus pressure from the outside, what kills an offense more? Is it that blindside pressure or is it up the middle where it's in your face immediately?
1: Uh, Up the middle is the worst pressure quarterback can feel because what what it feels like it feels like it's collapsing on it so like when you have the perimeter pressure you kind of got pressure that's bowing out right when you got pressure coming straight that pressure is in a straight line Mm. it's coming so as it comes in it's like how the depth of my hand right see See how it get it's small here but as I get closer it get big so now mm. it's blinding him to the fact that he's going to bail out mm. So up in the middle is the worst pressure that a quarterback can see.
0: And then when he bails out that's when the edge rusher's clean it up and that's
1: Exactly.
0: It's, it's almost well, getting in two ways.
1: Well well it's designed for the guys in the middle to make sure they don't allow him to escape in the middle because the edge rusher is the person that's supposed to put the pressure on him. He's supposed to put pressure on him every down. That is his sole purpose is to get the quarterback. All right. The inside guys, they're there to get the quarterback too. But they also there to maintain the line of scrimmage to make sure that there's no seepage with a running back that'll be behind the quarterback that'll the seep in between the linemen, and then they dink it over because over the line because the linebackers then when they drop so not the running back is just sitting in the middle. So you also stopping and prevent some of that from happening. So in the middle, it get clogged up your vision. You know, all that. When things are moving on the field, this is, you know, what the quarterback is seeing. He's seeing movement. When it's coming in his face, it's in your face, <laughs> you know?
0: For sure, for sure. And hopefully the Lions offensive line can hold up this weekend. But what about the Steelers offensive line? Because they are young. They got a rookie at left tackle, a rookie at center. Their left guard's a sophomore and their right tackle. He's only in his fourth year. So how do you play mind games with those kinds of young offensive linemen? What What did Jerry Ball do to mess with young offensive linemen on the opposite side of the field?
1: Well, let me tell you, first, the, the left tackle, he he's actually from my hometown of Beaumont, so we're proud oh. that, one, he's on the Steelers, and we're extremely happy that he's a starter as a rookie.
0: It happened At, quick. You,
1: now, now, the one thing, though, I would say that he's probably had a little bit more struggle than Penny. Mm-hmm. you know, just from, you know, some of the – early discussions and things that I've heard about, but he's, he's in the game. He's going to learn the game. Now, yes, they do have a young line. I do think because being Rothberger, you know, has been, you know, that steady rock, he can kind of settle their ass down a little bit different. Whereas Jared, you know, he's new and he's getting, you know, understand what kind, who's the tough guy on the the line, who's the cerebral person on the line, you know, so that he knows how to communicate. So I think that with that, you know, Ben is pretty much just taking charge and, you know, the linemen that that are familiar with them that are young that, but they're familiar with them are the ones that's going to help the rookies. Interesting. And
0: Just different levels of command from the quarterback position in terms of what you're comfortable with and your establishment in the organization. So what are you attacking on these young offensive linemen? What would Jerry Ball do, or what did Jerry Ball do? Oh, man,
1: I would be running a lot of games on third down. And, you know, and I might even mix in a little blitz with that. And when I say a lot of games, that's where you might have lines crossing. And they doing pick drills with the linemen, you know. Mm. I'll keep that. I'll keep that. Keep that moving. Running you know, some I think stunts. Stunts, yeah.
0: Yeah. Before we got on the show, I was watching a bit of the Ravens game. Calais Campbell just crashed the line, took down three offensive linemen, and then the loops in, and every the edge rusher gets all the credit, but it's the big man doing all the work exactly. in the middle.
1: Exactly. That's the truth of it.
0: it's it's the way she always goes it seems and
1: by design but it's by design you get what i'm saying you know that's just like a pick and roll in basketball that's all it is
0: and the the, uh, ones with a true eye understand that it's the big men like jerry ball on the nose making the plays and ben roethlisberger will hopefully be seeing a lot of the lions defensive in his face he's dealing with a shoulder injury right yeah He's had, apparently, according to him, since September week two or three. But this is the first time he's been on the injury report with it and missed Wednesday and Thursday. So can you touch on some of these mind games teams play with the injury report?
1: Well, here's the one thing, you know, with Ben Rosenberg, you don't – they're not going to play so much a mind game at this point, but I will tell you they're not going to go out and want you to know that their starting quarterback is hampered Mm -hmm. because when that happens, he becomes a target. Now we even more so want to put our hat on him because the more we can hit him and put him on the ground – the more it can aggravate the injury, right? Now, I I know you football fans don't want to hear that, but it's not intentional. Mm -hmm. It's just what happens when you're playing a physical game that is based on contact. When you fall to the ground, the ground is hard. So it will hurt you regardless of intention. So we're not targeting them, but... We will know that if we hit him and get him to the ground enough that it's going to aggravate whatever the injury is
0: and not yes. even just hitting him either if just getting the pressure when they have to try and keep you at bay with a stiff arm that's contact that's aggravation it's all all of
1: that it. all of it anything that is is going to disrupt him where he's not comfortable and always moving.
0: And so he's had that elbow injury. Now he's got a shoulder injury. Is this Ben's last run here with the Pittsburgh Steelers? Is he getting close to hanging on up like Peyton Manning did?
1: Let me tell you something. Honestly, I thought Ben was done two years ago. Me too. Okay. I think that the Steelers have done him well by letting him go out with the gusto but they really do need to start gearing for for the next phase of their quarterbacks or whoever's going to, you know, take to him. Because right now, you know, he doesn't have, but maybe this season, if he came back for next year, it would probably be, I think, just a sign because of you not being satisfied with what have went down this year. But I think right now, if I was him, shit, I was going to sit it down.
0: That's where you know? I'm at, too. It, it seems like Peyton Manning in his final year, when you could see the physical decline where he just wasn't – He it's not that he's playing bad or anything. It's just he's not the guy he used to be.
1: Yeah, well, listen, you know, Tom Brady has defied some odds. And he's doing some things. But when I was a rookie, you know, I played with Joe Ferguson. Joe Ferguson was 46. And I was 22. Yeah, Joe Ferguson used to be the quarterback for the Buffalo Bills back, back in the day. He was my teammate on the lines. He was 46 years old, right? Wow. Vince Evans, who was one of the first black quarterbacks in the NFL that played with Chicago, he was my teammate with the Raiders in my, what year did I go to the Raiders? I played in my eighth year. Mm -hmm. I was not only in middle school, I might've been in elementary when he was playing at USC as the quarterback. Wow. You know? Yeah. So the quarterback position has shown that if a guy takes care of his body and he can still throw it and that shoulder holds up and that elbow holds up, that, yeah, he can extend it, but he's not taking a lot of pounding. Right now, being body is such where he can't afford to get pounded, you know? And I think that that's, you know, everybody, you know, body clock, like right now, man, shit. I remember one time I used to feel so physically, um, I'm not going to say invincible because it would kind of be a little narcissistic, but I will tell you this. I felt that the things that if I wanted to move it, I could move it. No matter what it is, I felt with the leverage and the strength that I had that I I was yoked. You know, and I was naturally yoked. This wasn't from the gym. This that is man
0: strength. strength.
1: Grown man strength. All right. But now at 56, about to turn 57 next month, hell, I my body, I feel it. You know, I feel football, you know, my knees walking around, you know, even this weekend going traveling, you know. Hell, you, know, you think when I'm making my flight that I'm not looking for assistance on the ticket to make sure I can get from the ticket counter to the gate? Because either <laughs> that, or I'm going to hobble. When I go to the games, I've got to make sure I get as close as I can to the stadium because I don't want to do a lot of walking because I'm going to ache. Yeah. The
0: terminal
1: you know? that never goes away and the yeah. other injuries. Listen, and the thing that I felt when I had – I retired my 13th year and two years in one year – the first year the Vikings came back, the second year they came back and asked me to come back and play. But I also knew at the time I was 37 years old going toward Florida and for me to go out there with these youngsters that my risk of injury was higher now at 37 than it was when I was 22. And my recovery would be so much different at that age. And that's where Ben is now. All right. Now, right now, he might feel invincible in that body. But those injuries after a year and a half and you recognize that they're not there or you've been in that ice tub every week, week weekend, week out, and you're getting therapy that's giving you the comfort and keeping that edge off of the pain. When it stops, if you're not continuing to get that type of therapy, you struggle. You know, I, I got therapy, but right now I'm struggling because I have injuries that are permanent. You know, so so and again, I'm not I'm not complaining. I'm just saying, you know, at his age, playing quarterback, having those type of and L- injuries that he said started in September. Yeah. That's that's an injury. That's not, you know, just an ache. That's an injury. Something is injured.
0: It's one of those things that you wouldn't be surprised if he's getting surgery at the end of the season.
1: Exactly. Hey, I played, you know, third game of the season playing with the Raiders. I was tackling um, Marcus Allen, and I fell and hit the ground, whereas this part of my arm and head hit the ground. And I actually tore my labrum. Mm. I attacked the bicep tendon and all that, right? And that's like the third game. And I played the whole season with this. I was getting shot up before the game and at halftime. And were you still yeah. feeling it too, even with the shots? Well, I wouldn't feel it during the game, but let me tell you this. But the next day, I couldn't pick a, a coke can up and turn it over. I couldn't lift my shoulder. You know, it, it, you know, it's things that I did that, you know, contributes to why I feel the way I feel. You know, but but that's that's the NFL. Now a lot of people don't want to talk about it and stuff like that. During my day, you know, shit, you know it I takes a toll up. on you. Well, they wanted you on that field and you know shit. You did what you did to get on that field.
0: If if you could walk, you were playing. Well, yeah, it was
1: it, it was some it was a gladiator's mentality without having without using the knowledge that had been given to Ownership and management, but hadn't been shared with the players because there are some things that we should have done better in a healthcare preventive way, you know, like to eliminate some of the CTE stuff and some of the other stuff that are ill and in injuries. We just, you know, didn't have the information or it wasn't presented to us in a way that would give us caution. Hmm. Just you kind know? of written, written off? Yeah, because, you know, this is what we do. You know, this is this is what shit. This is it. You know?
0: It's the way of the business and the way ownership handles it, and it's the way media handles it. It's, it's a whole hey. combination of things.
1: Let me tell you something. There are plenty of guys today basketball football baseball and you know they might have an injury that's nagging that they they can play but you know they get a little shot that numbs it it allows them to get through it you know so whether or not it's ethical it just depends.
0: Yeah. It's uh it's it, it's a it's a line that is often traveled back and forth in the NFL and uh, that that's the case on a lot of
1: things. All sports. Yeah. All sports. And it's not, not just ju- the NFL. Yeah,
0: not just the NFL and it's not just with the healthcare too because there's a lot of conversation around running back Najee Harris the rookie for the Steelers. The media- the the commentators every time people are starting to notice that they almost just Tell his the the traumatic parts of his life, just very casually, and to the point where they told a story where Najee Harris was in college, and because he grew up in a shelter, he didn't sleep in his bed; he slept on the floor because that's where he's comfortable. And Najee comes out after the game says, "That's that's not true. Why? Why are you yeah. doing that? And is that something oh, the man. NFL's media is kind of
1: doing? Where they just L- let me tell you this: this actually. Is something that is very prevalent in media. Um, I don't say that this is an NFL no
0: not, or no, it's organized
1: not, it's not. effort to do that, but I will say from the sensationalizing of selling the program, entertainment, and sensationalizing the story, mm-hmm. I media does this. And I'm talking from journalist to teleprompter. They will say things. As a matter of fact, I'll even give you one that is personal. Sports Illustrated came and did a feature article on me. And um, Dave Winfield, during the time he was with the Blue Jays, is sliding in on the plate. He's on the cover. But inside of the Sports Illustrated, you know, it's probably about a four or five page spread on me. And, it, and the way that they telling this story, you know, the guy, his name is Rick Talender. Rick Talender is considered one of the top Sports Illustrated writers in the history of Sports Illustrated. He's the one came down. So Beaumont met with my parents, my grandparents, talked with me, came to my house in Michigan, things like that. So they put together a real comprehensive story. But what he did is that he changed truths, and he made it look like my mother wasn't a part of my life. Really? Because he sold it because I was – my mother and father – had me when they were 18. My grandparents, which is my father's parents, adopted me and my sister. But my mom was there every day, all our life. She's never not been, but the way that he told the story in Sports Illustrated, it was saying like my mother was away from me and away from my experiencing what I was doing, and it was the farthest thing of the truth. Now, just imagine being a kid that has picked up every Sports Illustrated he could ever have read, looked at all the high school kids that they were featuring it on the pages, and always saying, man, I want to be in here. I want to be in here like that as an athlete, and then they do the article on you, and they manufacture an untruth that make you so embarrassed that I've never have ever had the the article, magazine, anything ever on my countertop, never framed it, never put it in because it was disingenuous and it was an insult to my mother. And I was never, ever going to let her ever see that. Like I was proud of that article.
0: Oh, I'm so sorry. That's so disappointing. Yeah, but but but
1: that. But but all I'm saying is that you know this happens, and it happens because they're selling magazines back then. They're selling a magazine mm-hmm. now. It's social media. Get the big bang. Get get what they say verified. <laughs> Whatever that. Shit. Yeah. But but anyway. So yeah, you know it's it, it's sad that Najee has. To go back and correct those things but it's important that he has his story told correctly because you see someone else may hear that that part of the story and he may account for it different and that person will say that he has no credibility because i heard that story two different ways you know so yeah. It, 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 that's that's journalism and media and, and what, what takes place but I tell you these cameras and YouTube and being able to do podcasts and being able to have this open forum where we can talk I can say see. but, I, but for me I didn't have a problem you know they said I was a locker room lawyer right so what is a locker room lawyer alright so if, if sure. that means well but just think about it if I'm a locker room lawyer that means that I'm bringing something forward that I'm litigating arguing or something right but I'm representing somebody or some group all right but I didn't take that as a, a compliment because I know they didn't mean it as a compliment but oh. I was actually the I was the player rep oh. voted by oh. my teammates. I was on the executive board of the player reps.
0: A prestigious honor.
1: So, so, So I have all the information, and I didn't allow them to break the rules. I was doing what the players elected me to do. Yeah. All right. So when I spoke, I was speaking from the rule books of the collective bargaining agreement. And I knew what they could and they could not do because I was told in the conventions and things we go to so that they will educate us on how management's supposed to engage with us. Right? But I'm the locker room lawyer, you know? The players just trusted that I was going to do the job, and I did it.
0: Yeah, you know? that's that's silly just to mock to, yeah. to you for it.
1: Yeah, yeah. But, but, you know, but it is what it is. But like I said, you know, for Najee to have to go through that, you know, and correct it and make it's good that he, he, he caught it and it could be corrected. And whoever made those misstatements, you know, they, they don't, they don't rush to correct those statements neither.
0: No, no, they don't. No. And no. It, it's frustrating, disappointing. And it it is what, and it's this, this real shame of it too. Like Najee Harris seems like such a nice kid. I did read his story that he shared and it talks about how his draft night, he had a party for all the kids at the shelter that he grew up at. Right. And it's the biggest day of his life. And he's worried about dessert, that the kids aren't going
1: to have enough dessert. Exactly. Tell that story. Don't make exactly. up something. And, and, and I heard that story when it actually happened. You know I, what I mean? Yeah.
0: And I didn't hear When, when
1: that actually happened on draft day and stuff and all that. And they said what, how he had, how he spent draft day. You know, that's a young man of a lot of integrity.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Big fan of him. And the Steelers and and the Lions as well just have a lot of high-quality people in their locker rooms. And for the Steelers, a lot of that, it seems to be just Kevin Colbert, like you've talked about, Mike Tomlin, and the Rooney family. It seems like the Rooney family only steps in and – I don't want to call it meddling, but they only – interject themselves when things are out of control, like with Antonio Brown. Otherwise it seems almost hands off. You will give you the power to do your job effectively.
1: Well, I I think more than anything, the agenda is clear from top to bottom. I think one of the things that kind of makes the argument for what the Rooneys have shown to be, a better approach than the Lions, you know, has a lot to do with that. Now, I will say that when you have a clear, concise message from ownership down through the locker room, from the equipment guy, training room, players, coaches, and everybody, and they understand that you expect a level of excellence in everything that you do, and that they're going to do their part, you got a chance. But when management or ownership has a thought of how they want the team to go, and it's different than actually what they have in the locker room. In other words, say they want to have a passing offense, and they got a personnel that has a run offense. Those are not bad men down there, right? Mm. So l- let's try to make sure that we transition all this in, in the proper way so that we don't have to give up the form. In other words, lose good players chasing a philosophy, yeah, that might not be proven. But this player is proven that he can play at this level, and we know he's one of the top 10, let's say guards in the game. So I'm going to let him go because he's, he's specialized in run blocking mm-hmm. and you want a passing offense and you think you can go get a receiver that can impact the the actual um, offense, but then you have to go find a guard now to plug in someone that's going to protect the quarterback. Mm-hmm. so now the receiver don't even matter that he on the field because he ain't got no protection <laughs> you know so it's a lot of those things and, and by trial by fire that the Lions have to go through to build the type of organization like the Rooneys have built you know and, and I believe that not only do they give them the authority to do their jobs but they value their, I, and I'm not going to say, um, they value everyone's in their organization's opinion, no matter what level you are, from the personnel person, the coach, the trainer, they treat everybody with respect. And, and, and kind of what's in the line structure has been has been kind of how in a lot of corporate America, you got the C-suite, then you got the senior vice presidents, then you got the VPs, and then you got, you know, the directors. Then all of a sudden you get down from the directors to now you got, you know, an associate, right? Now the associate is the players, right? but the associate can never talk to the CEO in the corporate structure. Mm. The employee of Ford can't approach the executive offices and ask to speak to such and such because everybody that's under that structure is what's called upline Mm -hmm. or downline. And you're to report to your upline or your downline in the corporate structure. And that's how they have it built. But that's not how communication works in, in professional football or no football. No. The head coach needs to talk to everybody across the board. The owner, because of who they are, needs to talk to everybody across the board. You can't have that structure Whereas you bring Chuck Smith from Ernst & Young put him as the comptroller, then he eventually becomes the GM, right? But in his structure and his knowledge base, he's bringing Ernst & Young's culture into football, but there's some communication that he lacks because he doesn't have the skill set to go down and deal with the associates on the floor, or let's say on the field. Mm. He only crunch numbers which is a great skill, you know, because now you're talking finance, which is another conversation. So he can teach us in that area, but over here, you know.
0: Numbers are important, but the numbers aren't leadership.
1: No, not, not, not when this is a performance. Sports is a performance deal. So now you, regardless of what the numbers say, did you perform well enough? To have more numbers on the board,
0: yeah, and and just because even one, if say you manage that perfectly, you still have to talk to people. You still have to negotiate with exactly.
1: Each. Yeah, well, you listen. Sometimes in corporate America, and and the reason why I can speak intelligently about it is because I have a consulting practice. I work mm-hmm. with Fortune. 1,000 companies, helping them in turnarounds, financing, and all this. One of the biggest things that you learn in the corporate America aspects of, you have such a disconnect because everybody wants to be a boss. Right? So you will have a guy that's in the field that might have a GED, but he's been in the field on top of a whale for, let's say, 15 years he's been doing that job and then you'll get a young kid that comes out of Texas A&M that has an engineer and you put him over him as the boss but when he goes out there in that field where the well is and it's producing the hydrocarbon I promise you he's going to listen to everything that guy with the GED is saying why because when you're sitting there and you're doing a draft of how engineering works and pressure and you're figuring the formulas and all that other stuff, the person in the field is the one that has to actually apply that, that math, okay? And in the same aspects, when you're talking about building an organization to win a championship, if you don't have an understanding that your people in the field have more knowledge about the game of sports and how they can perform better that you're going to take the rudiments of the engineer or the accountant and let them be the sole deciding factor based on the number, whether or not you're going to let the best player in the game go, or better yet tell a guy like Barry Sanders, because you're the best player on the team, doesn't mean you have to be the highest paid player on the team. That's crazy in that statement, but he said that to Barry Sanders.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, okay. Barry Sanders.
1: Barry was either the best player in the NFL. Yeah. You might've had, he's definitely in the top three. Okay. Yeah. But, you know, but, but for a guy to tell a guy like that after what he's done, shit, man, that's not a guy I won't run in my organization. Because no, that no. means that he's taking the best of what I have and he's devaluing it internally.
0: Yeah. <laughs> not
1: know?
0: mind blowing. Truly mind yeah, blowing. Yeah, but again, but
1: that's not these guys, and I'm just speaking in the past. So everybody don't don't let it be a debit downer. Of course. You know? But but through the years, but that structure that I'm talking about, the way that they choose to manage, you know, that's, I think, what they've modeled everything that they do off of this corporate structure. And it's okay to have a corporate structure if your communication, again, is from top to bottom, you know? But if you don't know what's going on in the field, the guy that's actually going to figure the solution out, you don't want to talk to him. You want to talk to the engineer. But the engineer is getting the answers from him. He's the one in the field. That's who yeah. you need to talk to. The owners of the lines need to talk. The management needs to talk to the players. Don't decide what's good for them. They'll tell you what they feel is good for them. Cut, out the, middle,
0: cut out the middlemen, essentially. Go straight to Go direct.
1: Straight. Listen you paying these gentlemen millions of dollars. If I was paying them millions of dollars, you think I'm not going to talk to them? <laughs> That's a big <laughs> investment. Sure. <laughs> I'm coming to talk to you. I want you to know, like, hey, man, I'm counting on you. Yeah. You know, we paid you that $7, 8000000 million because this is what we expect from you. You know, we're going to give you a chance. Go get it. <laughs> but I'm going to talk to you. <laughs> I'm
0: management on. Yeah. And that's something that has to change going forward and something we have. and and again, this is comparing the past to the present, we don't know. We'll see how it continues to build, but we'll also see the Lions against the Steelers on Sunday. Mike Tomlin, he officially passed Bill Cower as the second winningest coach in Steelers history. Of course, there's only been three coaches in Steelers history, but he's chasing Chuck Knoll now, which is absolutely legendary. And even still, Tomlin's <laughs> remaining humble. He's not writing off the Lions. He knows it's not college football, not playing an FCS team, not playing a group of five teams. So respect to Mike Tomlin.
1: No doubt. Yeah, well, he's a quality guy. You know, I would have loved playing for Mike. I think he's done a great job. You know, of course, the record speaks for itself. Anytime you're a coach and you can win like that. And then, you know, ex- exceeding Bill Cowell, that, that's definitely a threshold because, you know, he is beloved by the Steeler fans and stuff. And they know that they have a guy that has put in that same type of work right after him you know, they're lucky. They're lucky.
0: Lucky, blessed, whatever you want to call it. Good for the Steelers. Yep. So so before we head out of here, do we have any fragrance recommendations ahead of time, or are we going to wait till after the game for that?
1: Well, we're going to wait, you know, after the game, but I will tell you about this one fragrance that, you know, I've been wearing and I've been getting a lot of compliments. It's, it's from, uh, a designer house called Killian. And the name of the fragrance is called Straight From Heaven. Ooh. I hope we can get a win straight from heaven.
0: <laughs> oh, me too, Jerry. Me too. Steelers are favored by eight and a half. What are we going for for our predictions here to be able to get this? Win from heaven.
1: Lord, Lord, Lord. I'm going to go 26-24. Lions win with a field goal at the end.
0: Woo! I like it. I like it a lot. For me, I'm going to have to go with... I'm going to go with 19 for the Steelers in a loss where the Lions put up 24. The three TDs and a field goal from the Lions.
1: Go ahead now. They scoring.
0: All right,
1: Jared. You heard that, right? We
0: need a big game from Jared Goff, especially Cam Newton signed with the Panthers. No shot at him. No off-ramp anymore. So let's go, Jared. Big game from him.
1: Mm-hmm. Hey, and that – it. listen – with all of the things that they talked about with Cam Newton and Carolina, right? Mm-hmm. Now, when that relationship ended, it was it seemed that it was at a eternal end. But Carolina recognized what they had and recognized what was available to them, and they showed a lot of class, both of them, to show humility for him to be back on that team. That's the type of atonement that I'm talking about. Something that is noticeable. Notice you know, Cam, was- Newton, Cam Newton going back to the Panthers, no one would ever thought that.
0: Ever. Never. Never. Yeah. And he, he, they, they didn't give out that number one jersey, which of course they didn't, but still... Good move by them. He's getting it back, and I can only imagine the crowd when he comes back home.
1: Shit, man, excited because they know they got a quarterback now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they ain't got to figure it out. We got one now. You get you wait. Wait until he's done. You know. But again, that was. Yeah.
0: Just imagine the Panthers go on I'm not saying this year but Cam stays and they go on another super bowl run with Cam Newton. That makes football better.
1: What what what's what's Carolina's record right now, do you know?
0: Uh I think they're 4 and 5. They're one spot out of the playoffs right now, behind okay. the Falcons who they've already beat.
1: 4 and 5. So if they win 6, that's 10 games. Mhm. I right. It has the running back gotten back on, on the yeah. field.
0: Christian McCaffrey's back.
1: Gotta watch him.
0: <laughs> and that could have been the Lions, but we'll talk about that another time. Any final thoughts, Jerry?
1: Nope, nope. Let's just hope that we can get us a win this week and get out of that ego column.
0: Let's go. Big W for the Lions this weekend. And remember, we are brought to you by betonline.ag. And with that, Jerry, are you ready to break it down?
1: Yes, we are. One, two, three.
0: We We believe. believe. I believe. I believe. I believe. I love the Lions. Say it with me. I love the Lions. I believe. I believe. I believe.